I think it's fair to say he's the face of ESPN at this point. And when you think of sports, you think of ESPN. And the fact that your mind goes from sports, ESPN, who's the first person I think of on ESPN? The black guy. It's just like powerful. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Uh, Out of the Bird podcast is here once again uh, for our Black History Month episode. We have uh, two guests who've been here before. Uh, they're not new faces. Joby and Dion, what's up? What it do? What it good. do? What's good? Yeah. How y'all been? Oh, I was going to let you go. But I, I mean, I've been good. <laughs> I've been good. I've been in the house, chilling, working. I'm at work all the time now. School, that's basically my day. Get up, go to work, come home, do school work, go to sleep. Yeah, sounds sounds about right. Uh, yeah. Work, I'm kicking my butt, but hey, <laughs> we have to do a show uh, uh, every other weekend. But uh, yeah, what about the Chris Abe? Y'all good? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I am excited. Um, there's not much that we can do inside of quarantine, but hey, uh, we're pushing forward, right? Yeah, 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 we're pushing forward. Uh, I, I don't know if Joby wants to say anything, you know. Yeah. I mean, I was like, you know, I, talk, I wasn't going to talk over you, <laughs> but life's been good, bro. Uh, not really working, like supposed to be working, but still working. You know what I mean? Working from home, yeah. Yeah. Yes, man. It's, I'm just saying. It's like nice. nothing. Uh, living the marriage life uh, with my lovely, amazing wife. Mm. She's awesome, doing great. And I'm um, trying to get in the gym, bro. Trying to get there more consistently. If I get there more consistently, I could be kind of slow. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's, that's actually you a define monthly Sicily. Sicily. Uh, huh? Is that what you say, Abe? <laughs> no, I said please define monthly Sicily. He said more consistently. I didn't know that was a word. I, I'm just trying to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, about yeah, you said about going to the gym more consistently. Yeah, that's like a, a mental thing, literally. Like, I'm disciplined with like 99% of things in my life, but when it comes to the gym, I can find any excuse to not go. Yeah, I know, and I, I get that too. Yeah, because it's just like it's just like you go in there to like be uncomfortable basically, like the whole time. So, it, you're asking me to leave my comfort to be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. We, we get that, we get that, but uh, oh, and for the record, I'm I'm also doing well this week. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> how did we forget about Chris? You know, it's okay. I'm a terrible, <laughs> I'm a terrible host, man. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, this uh, last uh, episode, we uh, were honoring iconic black figures, you know, in history. Um, last episode, we focused on you know modern, but you know, historical figures. This time around, we're going to focus on, you know, this generation, this era. And we are doing it, what, from philanthropy to entertainers? Oh, what's the last category? They see, uh, this one was a little bit harder. <laughs> so I think a lot of us just be um, diverged as far as collecting the right people. All right, yeah. We're not organized over here. Mm. But, um, yeah, we're honoring... Great black people, and we're gonna start with philanthropy. And I know 
Mr. Chris, let's start us off. I most certainly can. Let me see here. My first person is uh, Bridget Biddy Mason. She was born a slave in Mississippi, 1818, and actually gained financial success by, well, first suing her slave master because he moved them from Mississippi to Texas, then to California, which was a free state at that time. And <laughs> she was at, she actually wasn't aware she could do this until she actually ran to another group of slaves. They said, if you go, if, if you're in California, you can contest your master in court and legally win because you aren't legally a slave there. And after she won there, she gained her financial success by investing into real estate, then also acting as a nurse and midwife for, I want to say for better part of like 20 years. So she was basically like hustling the whole time. And then as she was like accumulating wealth, I want to say about around the time she was about 80. So this was 18, 1890, eight, yeah, 1895, I think, or no, actually doesn't have a date. It says between 1870s and 18. 90, so it doesn't have a real date, but she she donated the equivalent of three million dollars to the uh, uh, Greater Los Angeles area, as well as built the first uh, African American or African Methodist Episcopal Church in Los Angeles. Mm. So that was just I don't know if everybody out there realizes how big that was because she was born a slave, like. She had no education at all, but she still did all this stuff. Just that's, like that. That's tough. That's, that's, that's It's still hitting me that she she sued her slave master. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, <laughs> just like I'm, I'm curious, what was what was her complexion? What was her education and stuff? If you have that information, she doesn't. She didn't have any education. Oh, wow. Like like she the only the only reason she knew she could even do it is because like. As they were going from, it's very long and arduous that way they describe the the journey. Because, like, from Mississippi, they walked seventeen hundred miles. I want to say towards Utah, then to Texas. Because they were her slave master uh, was following a uh, Mormon trail, but then he found out that Mormon there was a Mormon community in California, so yeah. they headed there. But on that way they ran into other free slaves I mean, and he didn't realize this of course because why would you why would you let your slaves talk to free like, <laughs> yeah. you know that doesn't work because he, he apparently he just assumed they were also his slaves and just never accounted for them how many <laughs> so, slaves did he have it doesn't say how many he has but it did say that when she sued her slave master her family consisted of 13 uh women and children now, if all of them were actually like her blood-related people or just people she just said were related to her, it's also not very clear. But uh, we do know she had at least like two or three children with her. They were actually hers. Gotcha. That's really impressive. Yeah. Especially in that time, like, to see a slave master, that's like, heard of. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> right. It's literally, it's literally from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially with no education, like you said, like that's that's gangster. That's, that's tough. Yeah, 
Um, does she know how to? Well, that would count as education. Never mind. I was going to ask, could she um, read and write? I mean, because I assume that she has to be like relatively adept <laughs> if she was able to win a court case without a lawyer or in um, other, um, you know, artifacts and items that are available to her at the time. She I probably mean, just went on like a technicality, though, that the fact that they were in California, a free state, and mm-hmm. she was like a slave there. And okay. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but she did wait five years to okay. actually like sue him, too. So maybe mm-hmm. she did that. Doesn't say, but maybe she took that time to like learn up. But maybe. as for any type of education, other than like being a midwife or a nurse, nothing. That, that's street smart. Yeah, definitely cool stuff. Okay. Yeah, um, Avery, want to go next? Oh my goodness, it feels like um, show and tell at school. You know, you want to go next, <laughs> you're the teacher. You know, all this other stuff. It's, it's it's difficult, man. I'm telling you, just like this whole environment, the virtual world. Okay, but I'm gonna stop talking. So, um, moving forward a little bit into modern day times, because that was really cool. I'm 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 kind of mad I didn't pick someone that was like more uh, more established right now. Um, but anyway, I have chose Amanda Gorman. Um, you may also have known her from her world renowning speech at the inauguration. But um, before I jump into it, let me get onto the summary. All right. So Amanda Gorman was captivated, captivated the world when she read her poem, The Hill We Climb, at President Joe Biden, the Vice President Kamala's um, inauguration ceremony. The 22-year-old met the former First Lady Michelle Obama twice at the White House um, event with the Stuart Poets, um, I'm sorry, the National Student Poets Program in 2016 and again in 2018 at Black Girls Rock. She is currently working on three books and has spoken recently at the Super Bowl as well. And she plans to impress us more when she speaks of unity and growth in this current era known as the Black Renaissance. Really impressive young lady. Um, She went to Harvard. Uh, She majored in, I think she has a master's in, not master's, I'm sorry. I think she did English and something else, um, but really intelligent young woman, and it's just really cool to watch her and um, see her on stage. Mm, dope, 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 dope. Um, yeah, like when I saw her at the um, inauguration, I was like, "Dang!" Like, yeah, that was extremely I, impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't expect, I didn't expect half of that, and that was like, yeah, extremely terrific. You know, and like you know. Years, generations from now, she's gonna inspire more. So, uh, that's always good, you know, for our people. But uh, mm-hmm. that's what to my pick. Uh, I picked somebody that no one knows. Uh, <laughs> she's a model and a fashion designer from Ghana. Her name is Victoria Michaels. Uh, she has a foundation in Ghana where she gives back and helps uh, underprivileged kids. She gives she gives out food. Uh, she supplies water. She even built a library, and uh, I picked her because I know Dion even Africa or Ghana. Um, you know how rough it is over there. <laughs> they don't have access to things like electricity or like Wi Fi. They call Wi Fi Wi-Fi. They don't know what they. <laughs> uh, so, just for somebody to go like to make it out. You know, be a designer, be a fat, be somebody in the fashion world, and just say, "Hey, I'm gonna use my resources to bring it back and help underprivileged kids." I just find that uh, dope and very inspiring. So, yeah, that was my pick. Yeah, nice. I, I, I have not heard of her before, actually. That's I gotta look. I gotta do some research. Yeah, she's low. She's low key. She's like 
I, I had to dig for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my other picks are kind of wildly known, but yeah, this, this one was a, was a bit. Was a does she does she live here or in or, or in Ghana? Oh, uh, I think she 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 she's always around. You know how Ghanaians like when they make mm-hmm. in in and out of Europe and Ghana, and then yeah, yeah so she's always in and out. Is dope. And so, uh, Dion, you got one that could trump. So, <laughs> so for for mine, I also picked somebody who you know relatively un, un unknown. Uh, I picked Kobe Bryant. Wow. But as a philanthropist, <laughs> as a philanthropist, and not as an entertainer, because post playing career, he was very big on, I mean, I could have picked him for entrepreneur too, because he had all of these different types of businesses, but specifically entrepreneurship, because as you guys may know, he was very big in trying to, you know, push and support uh, women's sports and specifically women's basketball. Mm -hmm. And outside of the fact that Kobe is my favorite player. And so I'm gonna pick him for that reason. But also because women's basketball is actually how I started into coaching in the first place. I was a, the first team I had ever coached was a women's basketball team. And so you kind of, it, it's, you kind of get a different experience coaching women's than you do men's. And I think Kobe was like, he, he, he saw that, especially having his daughters and kind of being around, like he would always be going to the UConn game, seeing Gino Oriema and all of these things. And he was trying to make it like, not so because i mean we all we've all seen the jokes or whatever about the WNBA and stuff but he was trying to be like no like these women can hoop like the people in the WNBA is gonna bust a random dude on the street like you if you if, if you don't if you're not an elite basketball player they, they're going to beat you and he, he was trying to push that and trying to kind of teach the game from that level and kind of bring that awareness and i think i may be wrong but he was the first like major athlete to push um, like a, a sport that was not his own in terms of like not the NBA, but in terms of like he was pushing the WNBA and college women's basketball. Like you don't really see that. Like, yeah, you might get, like Cl- Clarissa Shields, who's a female boxer. You don't necessarily see like you might see them supporting, but you don't see them going all out to push for like right. this. And Kobe probably paid more attention to the WNBA and women's sports than he did to the NBA. Like, and it, and it's kind of crazy to see like a figure of that magnitude, like Kobe, probably one of the three most famous basketball players ever. Um, most known for the NBA is like, nah, bump that. We're not, we're not even going to focus on that. I'm put, I'm here for the women. I'm here to support that. And I think that is something that's, like I said, specifically coaching women and seeing like the view on women's basketball, seeing how he's trying to go around changing that. It was like, I think that's one of like the dopest things that athlete can do. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I, I get that 100% too, because it's just like, you know, like just, just like going to like public school, you know, all the jokes that comes with uh, the WNBA and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. like, as we get older, we, we like you look at like how much they're actually making these professional athletes that will, you know, like, like you said, like bust pretty much anybody who's not uh, also a professional um, get paid so overwhelmingly like or rather, I guess, underwhelming, I guess is the correct way to phrase that. Because they don't hardly really get paid half, not even a quarter of their worth most of the time. And that's crazy to me. Yeah. And another reason why I wanted to pick Kobe for philanthropy is because, like, when we think philanthropy, the main, the first thing that I thought of, I, I can't speak for everyone else, but was like, all right, who can I find that gives the most money to X and X cause? 
But when I kind of, I was like, is that all philanthropy is? Like, I feel like there's got to be more. And one part of the definition is also time. And I think me personally, a lot of time, I didn't mean to repeat the word time, but a lot of time, time is more important than the money that you give. Because now you see, like you saw, I don't know if you guys saw uh, Naomi Osaka after she beat Serena. She out here wearing, wearing the Kobe jacket. She said Kobe was a huge motivator to her. And so it's like, you can just see, like, I don't, I don't know how much money he gave to the to the cause, but I, you can definitely see all the time that he put in, and you can definitely see the impact that he's making on people's lives, even when he's not even here anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he passed, just to see the uh, the amount of female basketball players that like honored him was like astonishing. I've never, I didn't know he had that much impact on the WNBA and um, even the college basketball players. It's like. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, um, I remember one girl, I forgot what college she played, but she had a, like a game-winning shot and she was like, yeah, that's me being Mamba or something like something like that. Just so the inspiration is just like crazy. Even outside mm-hmm. of basketball, like you be seeing football players talking about Mamba mentality all the time. Yeah. So he just affected everybody. Any type of athlete looked at Kobe in a special way. He is literally something that would probably live on like forever. Yeah. Cause you're right. Cause like people do like always say like Mamba mentality, and like I knew where it came from, but I never actually like like thought about it like that. Cause I'm just so used to like thinking about it myself, like Mamba mentality. Really, like like it's just like a normal saying. But it, we're, we're talking about the same. Everyone's talking about the same person. We're all talking about Kobe. Yeah. And it's and, and it's Kobe. crazy, right? Because to tie this all back to like Kobe's involvement with women's activities is, I didn't even know this until like last year, but that whole black mamba mentality came from kill bill and i don't know if you guys have seen kill bill but the main character is the bride and it's it's uh uma thurman but like the his his logo and everything is is from that movie and it's crazy to see like she is a woman protagonist out here giving hands to everybody not caring about nobody and like the viciousness of her you're like that is where kobe drew the inspiration for the black mamba and to Uh see like started from a woman now he's passing that same mentality over like in real life obviously that was a movie but passing that same mentality on it just comes full circle i never caught that thank you that's literally i was watching i was watching the movie last year and she pulled out her sword and i was like that that looks like the kobe logo and then (laughs) i paused it and i was like no that is the kobe logo so i started doing research and he said in an interview he was like yeah he was watching kill bill and he was just like that's what i'm trying to be and i was like Never knew that. I had a quick question. Um, is there any like like um is there any link between um Hattori Hanzo, um, you know, the sword manufacturer or whatnot mm-hmm. and uh, Kobe? I would I would think because he was the one that made the sword. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm maybe in that sort of way. That's the only connection that I saw. But as far as like anything deeper than that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I was just curious about the symbolism there mm-hmm. between, like, you know, steel and, you know, warrior and basketball or something. I don't know. It was yeah. a weird connection <laughs> there. <laughs> Rest in peace, Kobe. Um, our next guy, Dovey, who you got? As my friend Dion, I also have an NBA legend for philanthropy not for entertainment. I had Mr. David Robinson, also known as the Admiral, two-time champion. But David Robinson, he founded um, a school 
called Carver Academy. He put $9 million into this school. Carver Academy went on to serve a lot of multicultural students ever since it opened its doors in 2001. And the reason I picked this is because my mom's a teacher. My wife is a teacher. So like anything that has to do with education, furthering education is just like, it resonates with me a little different. You feel me? And it's just that you see a bunch of NBA players, you see a bunch of professional athletes who get all this money and they're just like, yeah, it's my money. Like I'm just going to blow it because I earned it. This is for me. But to see someone out here create a school, which is like, it's part of his legacy, but this is going to impact so many more lives than he could ever touch on his own. So just the strength of creating a school just sit with me, sat well with me. So I chose David Robinson for starting the George Washington Carver Academy. Uh, well, so you know what's crazy about what you just said? I went mm-hmm. to an elementary school called Carver Elementary. Oh, for real? Yeah. Wow, this is a middle school, but that's cool. Yeah, 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 I went to school. So yeah, that's that's dope. Um, I knew David Robinson was a philanthropist in some way. I just didn't know he had a school. That That's, that's yeah. dope. Yeah, very Right. I mean, since, other than LeBron, I can't think of any athlete who's done anything like that. I think it's pretty cool that he named it after, um, you know, the guy who created peanut butter and stuff, you know, just didn't mention it. Um, not inter, I said interventionalist. I'm sorry. Um, you know, an American icon as far as um, building inventions and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's dope. Um, so for our next category, Entrepreneurs. Uh, Chris, who you got for who you got there? I have Mary Ellen Pleasant, who was again also born a slave. Cause I just well, just for the rest of my well, the list I chose is just everybody that y'all don't know. Just in case y'all wondering like why y'all don't know these people, I just chose people that you definitely don't know. Yeah. So oh, oh so again, I chose Mary Ellen Pleasant. She was also born a slave, born in Georgia, but she was actually sent up north to uh, also be a slave up there. But little did his slave, little did her slave master know that it was actually illegal to be a slave up there. So she, he accidentally sold her to uh, abolitionist, and she was raised to read and write. She was I mean, she was still a servant. But that was mostly under the guise so they could like educate her without having any issues up that way. And later on in her life, she actually married a fairly rich plantation owner named, I believe it was John Pleasant. Actually, there's like a few different abbreviations of her now. I'm just going to leave it as John Pleasant. And uh, after he passed away due to whatever circumstances, that was very unclear. She actually uh, became acquainted with a man named John Brown, who was also an abolitionist. And he uh, was just a very, I guess, big impact in her life. I believe he also helped her decide later in her life that she was going to become a, how do I say this without being, because it has, it just says abolitionist, but she was, what she was essentially doing, she was guiding people to the Underground Railroad but she was leading them to California because, again, that was also a free state during that time. And she actually married someone else after her first husband died because it, it, it looked kind of suspicious, you know, 
having this woman go back and forth all the time and uh, having all these different uh, black people with her and never a white person. So she actually married a uh, white guy, but eventually he also later on passed on. But after that, she actually became a uh, businesswoman because after she inherited her uh, late husband's wealth, she uh, made a permanent residence in uh, California to which she decided she was going to invest into different businesses. But to her, and this was actually to her advantage because since she was a black woman, and even though California was a free state, black people were still obviously looked down upon. So whatever she was doing, people thought it was like a lot of people thought it was stupid, except for one person who later on became her business partner. And they actually accumulated a wealth that was almost equivalent to a billion dollars in today's world. They were buying up dairies, laundromat. Well, they just called them laundry, but laundromats, uh, Wells Fargo. She started the, uh, the Bank of California and just, it, all, all while she was also still trying to, uh, you know, help pe- black people like come to the free state. Not as much as she did in her younger years, but you know, still, still advocating, still about about. I can say the word about abolish. Somebody say that word for me, please. Cause I'm just I'm just gonna keep tripping over it. Abolish. Abolish. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> no, I can say abolish, but it was the it was the the person abolitionist. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I, I saw Peter and Javon, so I was tripping with that, but they weren't going to say nothing. So I appreciate you, Dion. You're a real one. I got it. <laughs> That's what friends do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, later in her life, she was actually uh, sued by her business partner's fiance because when he died, uh, all her stuff and his stuff was mixed up together and just being black in that situation did not work out in her favor at all. Cause they, they literally had their finances together because like no one took a black woman serious when, when she's saying she's doing business. So they kind of used him as the guys to, uh, you know, make all this seem like legit. So they literally put their finances together and they had their, their names on everything, but to her disadvantage, since they couldn't like this, uh, say which was what, Everything went to his fiance, so she kind of died in poverty. That's right. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm always speaking. You want someone else want to go? No, it's just I was just it was just like I'm just also just kind of just as I'm reading this, I'm still just kind of baffled at this too because I had to go over this again this morning. I'm still kind of baffled. It's just like she also another person who went from slave, but she was in a better situation because she ended up with. Abolitionist, thank you, Dion. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and she was able to uh from an early age start trying to help people. And then she still if 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 you want to, you know, just keep it real, like she's probably one of the richest people, black people to like ever like live, even in today's world, because her wealth was almost equivalent to a billion dollars. That's really cool. Um Sorry, I always love hearing those stories um, that are so underground that you can't really like fathom, fathom what just happened, you know, but it's just really hard and um, heartbreaking to hear that, you know, she went so high just to fall um, so low. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was really cool. Yeah. 
Product of the time. I was just, oh, go. Now I was just wondering if I, I doubt they said it in the article, but if your first person and your second person ever like ran into each other. You know, I asked, I was looking that up and they were alive in the same time. They were in California at the same time, but they never said they were together at the same time or, or, or ever met. I have to assume they were because they both were like giving a lot of money to like California. Mm-hmm. So I can only assume, but it doesn't say anywhere. Yeah. Oh, um, before I forget. <laughs> um, so is that John Brown that you mentioned, the same one that fought at Harper's Ferry? It is indeed. Okay. And did she um did she fund that um fund the guns and um supplies up there? It didn't say exactly what, but she was one of his like like she did financially support him. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. I was just curious because that's very um, Pacific, and you mentioned white man, and you said John Brown. I was like, mm, I remember Nat Turner, John Brown. Remember they were like really hard, you know, fight the man types. Yeah. So. From what I gather, he was very much a. Uh, he said uh, rather, and I, I took this quote here. He said he's a. Inst- I am an instrument of God. And he was born to uh, abolish slavery. Wow, that's violence. That's messed up. That's um, that's that Old Testament type stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was that's really cool. Mm, yeah, um, Ave, you got okay. So um, I kind of goofed. Um, this guy's story just always like impressed me when I was a kid. Um, hearing it like in elementary school, so I chose Sean Corey Carter, um, also known as Jay Z. So, um, it's truly the tale of rags to riches. You know, he grew up in a um, in the projects. He um had some pretty he had quite a few things that worked against him in his um, life. So he went to music um, as a way to escape it and um, all the drugs and violence and the poverty that surround Marcy projects. So um, I'm going to gloss over quite a few things. I'm pretty sure you all know him. So um, in 1989, he joined the rapper Jay's, um, Jazz O, yeah, who taught him all the um, ropes. And um, he eventually took his namesake and eventually became Jay-Z to honor his um, his mentor, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, beyond the award-winning and pretty impressive career as the rapper Jay-Z, he eventually turned to the side business of, you know, of music and became the president of Def Jam Records. He signed a joint venture of $150 million with Rock Nation, and <laughs> which put him on the map, and he started um, to diversify his portfolio. Uh, specifically, he owned um, major clothing lines, um, helped sponsor a bunch of different music talent, musical artists, uh, he owns a sports bar. He um, eventually started a streaming service with Tidal, and he owns stakes with Uber, Amon de Bognac. And finally, um, he owns a part of the New Jersey Nets. <laughs> one, one, of my famous, um, one of my favorite lines from him was, I'm not a businessman. I am a business man. <laughs> it's really, it's really <laughs> arrogant, but really cool. And it just shows how he used his platform to, like, you know, Ascend further than, than what he thought he can do. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Business wise, he's like. I remember I saw this picture of like um, it was like a tree, of like the people that was like when he started like his record company Rockefeller, right? Mm-hmm. It was a tree of the artists and the success and the businesses. Bro, it's like. Huge man from Rihanna, Kanye. Yeah, he's um, all like 
and you know, and then their businesses. So, so it's like he literally created a franchise. Yeah, like um, <clears throat> I'm not taking anything away from the man, but it's just one of the things. Like he learned the game and he learned to play it well. You know, so it's really cool to say he did this all with a high school degree diploma. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a, that's a good one, man. Uh, I think that's kind of like my forte. <laughs> but uh Dion, what you got, bro? So oh, well, it's crazy to... that I mean you wanna go? You know he's got a system, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my my bad. I was supposed to go. Oh, you you go, you were talking so oh. all right. No, no, it, I was just gonna say it, it, the connection, how you said that I didn't even know that Jay-Z owned part of Uber, but the person I had, Ursula Burns is actually currently a board uh on the board of directors for uber um and she also she's on the board she's a board member for a couple of different companies but uber is probably the biggest one but the reason that i specifically picked her is because she was the first black woman to be a ceo of a fortune 500 company um xerox which we all know the fax machines the printers copiers all of that um but it's crazy because like to see the the evolution of just like our people just over time and to hear like the first, the first anything is just like, at, at one point, at, at a certain point, you're like, okay, yeah, that's great. And then you're like, wait, now is the first? And, and I'm looking and I was like, this was in 2009. Like this wasn't in like, this was not even like last century. Like this was in 2009 where she became the first black woman owner or CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Um, and then I think even in 20, 2014, she was named the 22nd most powerful woman in the world. And I'm sitting here like, until I was like, I, I, obviously I know Xerox, I know Uber, did not know a thing about her. I think I've heard her name once or twice, but didn't know a thing about her. Meanwhile, this whole time, she's 22nd most powerful woman in the world. And she even worked um, in the White House. And so I'm just sitting here like, like even like I'm looking here on a Wikipedia page and like there's so little information outside of like, her her career in zero like it doesn't even have where she was born and i'm just like what like this is crazy like the things that she's doing being a board member of three different companies two of them overseas one of them being uber which i mean they 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 have blown up over the last year and i've been watching a little bit too much cnbc but they're even like their stock prices have been going up a little bit now um and then all of the things that she's been doing i'm like to see like her 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 page be so small i'm just like dang but just some other stuff. Um, she went to uh, Columbia, which we know is a very, very prestigious school. Um, and I think it's it's important to see, like, she probably was, like, not just, not only just being Black, but being a Black woman was probably, like, one of the few and wherever she was at. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she was the only woman, uh, Black woman on the board of directors of Uber or probably one of the only to graduate from her class and all of this stuff. So it's just, it's, I was trying to figure, when I was trying to figure out like who I wanted to pick, I was like, yeah, I, I almost, I almost picked Jay-Z. But I was like, nah, I want to do somebody who doesn't get like, you know, the shine that like people who we should know about, like even if you're not in the business world, like I feel like everybody knows what a Fortune 500 company is. Like I wanted to pick somebody who was like, we need to, we need to shine a little bit of light on that. Yeah, that that uh, that's that's dope that a black woman has you know that much power because if you look at it now, Uber is like a it's like a word we say. Oh, I'm gonna get an Uber. Mm-hmm. Everyone says I'm gonna get a Lyft. Everyone says I'm gonna get an Uber. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's like a term now, and it's like 
it's honestly like one of the fastest uh, driven businesses in the past what decade. Probably, I mean, it's replaced replaced taxis. Yeah, like literally. So that that's a testament to you know our greatness. Probably- yeah, was- My bad. No, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I'll keep it short then. Um, yeah, to your um, to your reason, they may not have a lot of information on her, probably because she prefers it that way, you know, because, you know, this is a one percenter at the end of the day, and they prefer mm-hmm. not all their business to be out in the light. I mean, you know, what's the space? <sighs> and Bill Gates, yeah, he just gained like yeah. <laughs> four, um, four billion since the covid pandemic <laughs> so that just showed you something um about his information he's coming out with all these more humanitarian level stuff but um yeah i'm gonna stop talking because i have my own problems with bill gates <laughs> i was just gonna say that i promised dan like looked at my list of people and was like how can i closely match it to jovi's so peter let me go next because mine's like just like dion's again because oh the person goodness. i pick is Franklin D. Reigns, and I picked him because he was the first black CEO of a Fortune 500 company, like the first man to do it in 1999. So I don't, I sent my list before Dion's in a group message. So y'all got to talk to him about what's going on there. <laughs> but I picked him, like, not even, like, I know he's in, like, he has scrutiny recently because of the Fannie Mae stuff. But the reason I picked him is very simple is because he's the first black man of a Fortune 500 company. Like, there's always been a cap. There's always been a ceiling like, yeah, you can get a job, but like you can only go so high or yeah, you can start your own business, but your business is only going to get so high. So the fact that he was able to be like, nah, I'm going to be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I'm going to reach not the top of the top, but basically the top of the top is like I'm breaking down all these barriers so that y'all can do this, too. I'm going to be inspiration that, hey, look, there's a black man in the seat of power. There's nothing stopping you from getting here. It's not reserved for whites only. This is a black man can be here just like anybody else. So that's literally the only reason I picked it, just because it's like inspirational for people. Like for me, it's not like that's not my type of aspiration to like desire that. But so many people want to have that power. So many people think they can't reach these heights because they think that it's not for black people. So the fact that he was just able to break that barrier was just. Big, very big. Yeah, uh, that's a good pick, Joe. Um, your pick probably inspired. Well, I, don't, I don't know how directly, but I picked Michael Jeffrey Jordan as an okay. entrepreneur. Um, mainly, you know, we all know Michael for his game, or you know, people debate him as a goat, you know, or the greatest basketball player ever, or but really. His moves as an entrepreneur changed the planet. Like, coming into the game, like, when he came into the game, it was Converse that everybody liked. Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Larry Bird, they were all, like, uh, endorsed Converse. This man made Nike into a billionaire, like, multi-billionaire company, you know what I'm saying? And it was just through his play and through his brand and just to see how how global he went and how he touched people in, you know, different parts of the world. Like, you saw The Last Dance. You saw, you know, it, it was like a show. 
just to see him and for him to put that into the sneaker company for him to like the brand you know air jordan you know just that people wearing the shoes thinking they could play like he selling that you know to me it's an amazing feat and the sneaker culture man he created the sneaker culture right right now like there's a whole market of sneakers like i bought the commons last week like <laughs> like that caused me a lot but it's an asset now like my port my stock uh, my sneaker stock portfolio is ridiculous right now because of this man. <laughs> I thank you. I thank this man because shoot, like me and my cousin were talking about how like the sneaker culture is like really profitable. Like one of my cousins is like doing like a business because of that because he has so many sneakers. So just to see how like that has impacted you know the world and just people like me, average Joe people, like I, I definitely put him in there. And, he also, man, put so much money into the NBA. Like, he's the reason why guys like LeBron can get, like, 40 million, 30 million, and all these big max contracts. You know, some of them, I think, are overpaid, but that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> he's the reason for that. Like, he's the reason why, like, there's so much money in endorsements and people, have, people even getting endorsed before they show how good they are. He's the reason, so. And he's, like, the first billionaire basketball player that's was it a billionaire athlete? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Athlete. And, and he hasn't played basketball in over 20-something years. And sneakers is number one. Like, LeBron is two, and it's by, like, a distance. You know? <laughs> so that's just, you know, um, his greatness is, you know, you know. And he inspired people like Jay-Z, too. Like, I know Jay-Z says he's the Michael Jordan rap. But uh, that's a whole other thing, again. But just, like, his inspiration goes to every, you know, every black person. You know, but as an entrepreneur, he's he's the greatest, one of the greatest athletes. But yeah, um, I just had two things I wanted to add on, um, simply because it's at the top of my mind. Um, yeah, well, I heard Michael was super competitive, and that's part of the reason he was uh, able to grow so greatly. Yeah, took, <laughs> um, took everything personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, my, to my second point, um, with Joe's um, candidate, yeah, that's really cool to hear, um, just especially in 1999 when all these regulations were getting passed um, as far as, um, ah, you know, sort of like the social aspect of things. It's really cool to um, see that someone was able to pierce that, you know, glass ceiling like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we can totally move on. Um, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. So uh, move on to the next category. Artists. Chris, who you got? Who I got? Uh, Cab Calloway, and unlike my other two. Ooh. Oh, you know Cab. Sorry, Calloway? I love I love Cab Calloway. Yeah, see, I I do too, that, and and that's why I chose him too, because I was just I was just trying to think of another person. I was just like, who don't people know that I feel like they should? Cab Calloway, easy fit, that's easy money. But and unlike my other two, he is he was not born a slave. He was born like 1925 in Rochester, New York. But he actually grew up uh, here in Maryland, mm, Baltimore. And uh, <clears throat> both his parents were educated. His mother uh, went to uh, Morgan State and his father went to uh, Lincoln University. And he, wor- and he even worked as a lawyer. So they were, you know, fairly well, well off. They were a middle class family, even as a black family. So they were, you know, doing by, by, by standards back then pretty well. Both parents were educated and even had a... a uh, lawyer as a parent, they might as well have been the Huxtables back then, you know. 
education-wise anyway. And uh, he was one of the most probably, like, like, the, like well, can't talk. But, like, I know him and Dion know him, but y'all don't know him. But he was actually probably one of the most influential people in music. And you don't even really realize it because he's influenced, like, people like Michael Jackson, Janet, various others that they've, <laughs> you know, influenced. Like, if even if, if you like to watch the way he moves, like, you can kind of see. Granted, like, he's doesn't dance like Michael, but you can see where Michael takes or where you can see where somebody like Michael would get his influence. Like Cab Calloway would like to do like a lot of spins and stuff. And he liked to like glide across the floor. He was a very performative person. And uh, while he was like extremely famous for like all his uh, musical escapades and stuff, he was actually very famous on vaudeville as well, because like while he was actually performing his, uh, his musical, his uh, musical uh, performances, he was actually kind of like doing like a little comedy act in it and stuff in a way. And you can even see that if you, uh, I don't know if you guys ever seen the movie Blues Brothers. I think Blues Brothers 2000, maybe, or maybe the other one, I can't remember. But it just, it, you will see an old Cap Calloway in there singing to some kids and you can even see like hints in there and in, in there too, because it just, it's the way he sings, it's the way he presents it, it's just like his whole, his, He's his own person, his own beast. I don't think you could say he copied anybody because I don't think that would work for anybody else. And uh, let me see here. He actually won, or he was actually, here, let me bring this up so I don't lie to you. He was a big part of the Harlem Renaissance as well as the first African-American musician to sell a million records and have a song nationally syndicated on a radio show, which is also extremely impressive back in the day, too. Yeah. Uh, Harlem Renaissance changed um, how, especially for Black people, how they viewed music. Yes, yes. At important time. And he was, uh, and yeah, and even here it says, uh, for my uh, description of him, Singer, dancer, and band leader, band leader, Cap Calloway led a one of the most popular African American big bands during jazz and swing eras in the of the 1930s, 1940s, with the Harlem famous with the famous Harlem Club Cotton Club as his home stage. And it's just I could go on and on, but I feel like it'd be a little bit too much. But I will say he uh after he died, he got a uh, Grammy Lifetime Award achievement, but that was four, or 18 years later. No, 14 years later, yeah. And he also got the, uh, he was uh, in the Grammy Hall of Fame for his uh, Minnie the Moocher, which I don't know if you guys have heard that song, but it's also a very good song. Yeah. Um, I was actually watching, um, before I got on, I was watching the Michael Jackson Off the Wall documentary. His, he was one of the names uh, mentioned as inspirations to Michael. Him, Sammy Davis Jr., James Brown, Jackie Wilson. So mm-hmm. I definitely see that correlation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... He's pretty... Um, he's just pretty influential. There's so much that you were just listing off as far as his achievements and, um, you know, just as of contribute... Contribute... <laughs> contributions to uh, music in general. Thank you. Um, but um, what was I about to say? 
Yeah, I didn't know. Um, I honestly didn't know he was running around in the cotton, not cotton club, uh, vaudeville, you know, black man yeah. circus kind of era acts and stuff. Like, that's really cool. Like, see how he adapted his um, his performance and became so unique from that um, that gauntlet, if you will. Yeah, and that, that that's what made him so, like, unique back then, too. Because, like, not only was he was, like, a, like, I guess, I won't say icon because it was, you know, like, it was it was like it was in black audiences where he was very popular, but I guess you could say black icon, which mm-hmm. would make more sense. And but like it was just the way he would perform himself. Like he's always keeping the audience like entertained no matter what's happening. Like even like before he, I saw a because uh, I just wanted to see it again because I didn't see it in a while. Like his uh, many of the moocher back in like 1938, he performed in front of an audience. Even there, he just like he would hold notes to a comical length and like he's competing against like his own like band behind him. And then like you can hear like the uh, the audience like laughing because like they can like hear him changing as the as the band is changing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that's was it was kind of impressive. But at the same time, it was funny. So I, I I get I get where like all this is like coming from. He was just like a overall show showsman. Yeah. He try to like show that in every performance. Chris, can you do a Cab Calloway spin for us? I can't. I'm on carpet. Can you sing a Cab Calloway song for us? I can't. You know, my, my throat a little sore. Maybe next time. I got you. I have no more requests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. That was a good one, Dave. Uh, I mean, Chris. But uh, <laughs> hey, what's the next one? <laughs> I'm gonna get All right. So I will go by Chris for now on. Um <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's see. Yeah, so um, I remember when I was in France, um, just outside the Hotel de Ville, um, I was looking at the up at this huge banner, you know, this poster of this um, of this march. It was about humanitarian heroes, you know, going around and stuff. And I remember reading um, a little bit about Mario Franco um, when she, I was there. But I was like, I didn't. This was sad, you know. It struck to me on a um, heart level. I mean, it struck a heartstring. So. Um, just going forward, uh, let's get started. Yeah, so Mario Franco was a city councilwoman on in the city of Rio de Janeiro and a member of the Party of Socialism and Liberty, but she was also a member of the LGBTQ community as well as a human rights activist that spoke out against police brutality at the favelas or the slums of her city. So um, what I thought was really cool was um, Franco originally got a scholarship to dig herself out of um, her hometown and went forward and went to school. What happened to my document? Ah, it disappeared. Sorry, sorry. I My, my script disappeared. Okay. <laughs> yeah, technical issues. But anyway, she had the nerve, the audacity, if you will, to write her master thesis on um, the decline of favelas in three letters. And it was really controversial because um, what she examined was the pacifying of police units. And she went further to say that um, that that the police are using um, they're using used as a law enforcement tool called the pacifying police units to um, take control over the city's favelas, you know, because there's such a um, it's a lot of a lot of contraband inside those areas as far as um, things that are not part of, if part of the formal economy. So you can see why a lot of people want to get their hands on it. So she pointed this out and um, she was at a political rally. And unfortunately, um, she was cut down and assassinated. And um, 
yeah, she was going to move in with her living girlfriend, with her kid that year too. And it was just like really sad, but, um, her death caused a lot of, um, caused a lot of controversy because she was clearly assassinated. A lot of documents went missing. Um, even Amnesty International along with the UN wanted an investigative report, but Hey, it's Brazil. So, um, yeah, that's all I have to share for her. That's crazy. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, what what year? What what year did she pass? Uh, twenty nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. Yeah. So, like, literally two years ago. Yeah. yeah. That's, but what what do you think was the motive? If it, if it was an assassination, what do you think the motive was? Uh, it could be literally anything. Um. I'm going to like skip over a lot of stuff, but particularly um, Brazil is just a um, difficult area to voice your opinions. Okay, and, okay. Yeah, I get it. I, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Dave. So I, when you speak out against the government um, or just a police yeah. state, uh, it, it could cause a lot of controversy. So, uh, uh, And countries like, I don't know specifically Ghana, but I know Nigeria had that issue mm-hmm. <laughs> recently, but I get it. Yeah. yeah, especially speaking against the police. <laughs> so, yeah, not, not really the greatest yeah. strategy. Um, so, uh, if anyone doesn't want to say anything, I'll go next. Um, I picked um, Nas, mm-hmm. one of the greatest uh, rappers of our lifetime, one of the greatest lyricists ever. To, you not know, too familiar with him. Yeah, a lot of people might not be familiar with Nas, man. Some people, you know, guys like Lonzo Ball and Whoever, all these little kids—they say crazy things. But I have to educate the people. Once for Nas, um, a lot of your favorite rappers wouldn't be here. Um, he uh, he came out. I think he started like in '91 with um, Lodge Professor and his group, but he wasn't really known yet. He was just on the mixtape scene. But uh, what really got him going was um, his first album, Illmatic, which is like. For people, I don't know about this generation because this generation doesn't really know, but for the past generations, that's like a hip-hop Bible to them. Like, it was the first, like, rap album to, like, have multiple big producers. Um, it had DJ Premier, Lodge Professor, Pete Rock, Q-Tip. Like, prior to his time, like, in the 80s, like, Rakim and Karis One and Dr. Dre, it was just one producer that did your album. Like, Snoop had Dr. Dre do his album. Rakim had Eric B. Uh, Public Enemy had the, the Bomb Squad. It was only one producer that would do your album, but Illmatic was the first rap album where you had like multiple big time producers on it. And when that album dropped, it didn't sell. It wasn't a commercial success at first because it was like really raw. It was like really street. But over time, it got acclaimed because it was like he was speaking for people in that specific time. But as Nas grew, um, he did get a uh, his commercial performance did get better. It was written was like one of those albums when it came out, people didn't like it because they felt like he was going for a commercial sound. He had the song with Lauren Hill, "If I Rule the World." People were a little shaky about it because it was a commercial sound, and he's one of those guys that people wanted him to be like underground and still like speak that like hard aggressive stuff. So around like. Like after it was written around like uh, 99, he dropped two albums that were kind of considered flops. Uh, it, was, it was I Am and Nostradamus. 
and he had the commercial appeal. And then the young man mentioned the dude's name. Him and Jay Z had a little beef, and Jay Z did take over, and they thought it was over for Nas after that. Like literally, the industry thought it was over, and then he dropped Ether, and you know, dropped a better album um, after that called Stillmatic, which is my favorite Nas album uh, personally. So, um, you know, he's just uh. You know, after that, he you know he continued to put out stuff. Um, he's always been an artist like casual people or like casual music fans wouldn't really get into because he's very deep. He's very conscious. Like he inspires guys like Kendrick, J. Cole, you know, those type of guys. He wouldn't inspire a guy like Drake. Like a Drake is more of like a Jay-Z, you know, like though that would be his inspiration. But like Nas definitely um to me, uh when it comes to lyricism, definitely changed hip hop. Cause when he's when he came out, nobody was rapping like that dude. And then like guys like Eminem and everybody else, like Jay-Z, Big Pun, everybody just Wu Tang, all of them just stepped their game up after him. So I contribute him to being like the guy that really changed like rap lyricism. So yeah, that's a little history on Nas. Is Nas your goat? Oh, uh, in hip hop, I don't have a goat because I think it's too subjective and it's too. Pe- I'm talking about for you, for you personally. Is he? No, I don't, I don't, I, but I don't have a personal goat because I. If you ask me, if you if you ask me, it'd be Jay Z or Nas. Like I just because those two like the most consistent, most successful for the past what 10, 20 years. Like the only guy that like you know that's alive that I think could go with them is Kendrick just because he's consistently dropped stuff that's like I've never heard a rapper like do this like with and maybe J. Cole you know if it's because he's about to put out some stuff but does Eminem not count or he just not count Eminem is a different Eminem doesn't count Eminem okay that's <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean Eminem let me let me just be respectful here Eminem is arguably the greatest lyricist ever me personally, when I listen to music, I have different things I like. Eminem, he gives me like he's the motivator. Like he he has a lot of motivative songs, like "Lose Yourself," "I'm Not Afraid." He like if you want to be motivated to win, listen to Eminem. All his other type of content is kind of okay. killing his mom and all that. I, <laughs> I don't relate to that. Be like it's cool. Like uh, what's that song he did? I'm sorry, mom. Never meant to. What's that song called? Clean out my closet. That's a dope song. Clean out my, yeah, that's a dope song. But I don't relate to that type of stuff. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, so Eminem is a great. Like, if you think, I always say, if you think Eminem is the greatest, those two. I, I personally just don't. You know, I, I he's one. He's in my top three lyricists. That's my bad. Let's go back to the black people. Back yeah, to the black like, people. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah, yeah. That's Nas. But you know, uh, Dion or Joe. <laughs> I think Jovi, I think that finger was pointing at me. So um, it's it's crazy, right, that Chris picked Cab Calloway because one of the biggest members in Cab Calloway's band was Dizzy Gillespie. And Dizzy Gillespie actually had an album with the person who I selected, who, in my opinion, is the greatest artist of all time, but I'm very biased in that, John Coltrane. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Who I think when you think when you know like 
if you couldn't tell by my reaction to to uh Chris's Cab Calloway, I love jazz music. I love music, but specifically jazz music. And they were born around the same time. John Coltrane unfortunately had a, a shorter life. I think he died when he was like 40. But I think when you think of jazz, a lot of people who know jazz think of the Cab Calloways or the Miles Davises or uh, Thelonious Monk or Louis Armstrong, like all these people. But I'm like, for me, the first person I always think of is John Coltrane because of the diversity that he had in his music. But like, if like when I just think of John Coltrane, I think of cool, right? This man is the the smoothest, like, it's, I'm gonna sound real old head. I'm gonna start to sound like Pete a little bit, but he was like, if I could describe John Coltrane in the sentence, he would be the smoothest cat on the block. Like his music, he went from, he started um, kind of with, in, in, in that big band, like how Cab Calloway was doing in that era. And then he kind of, transitioned into more of of a bebop and a hard bop like the jazz that you you know when you think of jazz you think of that and then he kind of later in his career transferred into um free jazz and kind of it's a bit out there so if you're not like used to it it kind of sounds really weird but at the heart of his career like this man was died when he was 40 and he put out it's nearing 20 albums like he was putting out music consistently every i think his first album came out in 1957 Coltrane but he was consistently putting out music and it was all it wasn't like there was never any misses like we're talking about like you were talking about Kendrick who don't miss like John Coltrane ain't never miss and like even like today like his songs will be in I don't know if you guys know this the song in a sentimental mood but if you hear um I don't remember what movie it was in but it's in like a lot of romance movies but his movies transcend i mean his music transcends like his time period and to the point where i got so i i think my love of phineas and ferb grew after i found i don't know if y'all remember the episode of the black dude that was on there his name was uh tra- what was it train or, or or john it was something like that but he he was his character was based off of john coltrane yeah. and i feel like i was the only person who knew what this was i was like yo do y'all not see this like I picked John Coltrane, yes, because he's my favorite artist, but in terms of, like, his life was very interesting. Like, he um, he was actually addicted to cocaine, and he was in Miles Davis' band, and him, Miles Davis actually was like, nah, you can't, you can't be in my band anymore because you have to get off of this drug. And so, like, he went through a lot, but, and eventually... Um, he, he started playing for his church and everything, but and I think, I think he did die off of overdoses, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, but it's just like, he, 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 one, people know him from the saxophone, but he played flute, he played clarinet, he played bass clarinet, like, he was just such a, an influential artist who worked with all of the top artists, like I said, he worked with Disney Gillespie, Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, like, all of these people who, are like known for for jazz music and even to go into a little bit of a I don't want to get into a history lesson but like blues is the foundation of American music like a lot of people don't know that but like not talking about like you know just music all over the world but specifically American music technically bluegrass but bluegrass blues if you listen to it is very similar in terms of like the way that they played the like bluegrass uses banjo uh blues uses bass but it's very similar yeah and that turned into country which turned into 
slow rock and roll, which it turned into what we all have now. But a lot of people don't know that the foundation of the music, like the foundation of Taylor Swift came from blues. The foundation of what we're hearing with Jay-Z and Nas and Eminem and all the people that we're talking about came from jazz. And I think it's just crazy to like, to just go back and think of like, because we're talking about Black History Month, I'm talking about like the influence that our music had because blues, I mean, came from traditional music back in Africa and we brought that here to create blues, but that is the foundation of every every song on the on the charts that you hear now came from this. And John Coltrane, my opinion, is the greatest musician that did jazz music or that came directly from blues. But I just when Chris said Cab Calloway, I was like, yo, that's crazy. So you're stealing from everybody's suggestions, huh? <laughs> no, but it's kind of funny that you brought that up this week because, uh, well, not last week, I oh, yeah, two weeks ago. ago. But uh, I brought up BB uh, King. Yeah, mm. we we talking about like how uh, uh, blues to jazz to jazz to like rock and roll to like all this stuff. Yeah, like, so that's what I was there to add. That, yeah. that 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 week I picked uh, Little Richard. Mm. Yeah. So it was going from what Chris was going to like. You know, rock and roll, like soft rock and roll, but Little Richard. Yeah, was- like even when you start um, going back, like way back, and um, start listening to what the Mud Rakers or whatnot, Mud Splashers, they were um, a blues band down in uh, Mississippi, mm-hmm. but they have all the correct instruments and um, orientation for um, modern day rock and roll, which is really cool stuff to look at. And you're just sitting here thinking about. Yeah, that started with the with the colors, you know, with the blacks. They don't want to give us nothing anyway. That's a whole the craziest life. thing is like when you think of like the, the king of rock, Elvis. Mm-hmm. It's widely believe that Elvis stole a lot of his music. Yeah, he did. And like, and it's crazy because it's like he is widely considered, you know, the greatest. And, I, and don't get me wrong, I love Elvis's music. Elvis makes good music, but it's like a lot of that he got from us. And it's crazy because, like, like you were saying, like the evolution of music, like, not I'm not gonna say black people invented music or anything, but like the basis of American music was founded on our music. And then, like, for someone who loves music, Pete loves music. I know, I think all of us love music. Like, to know that is just like, you know, yeah, um, y'all wouldn't be here without us. <laughs> not to harp on the Elvis thing, but when uh, I know for when people say Eminem is the Elvis of hip hop. I think that's very uh, unfair. That's an unfair, uh, kind of like a backhanded compliment. Like it, it, it is, because it's like at the end of the day, Eminem has never stole anything. No, like the boys is nice. So uh, anytime I hear that, I get kind of annoyed. But um, yeah, jo- Jovi, you got. I have one of the loudest humans on planet Earth. <laughs> Where most people know him, you love him or you hate him, Mr. Stephen A. Smith. Um, <laughs> Stephen A., I chose Stephen A. because he is, I think it's fair to say, he's the face of ESPN at this point. And when you think of sports, you think of ESPN. And the fact that your mind goes from sports, ESPN, who's the first person I think of on ESPN? The black guy. Just like powerful, but I just wanted to like give a little history on Stephen A. Because I first heard him talking about his come up on um the All the Smoke podcast, mm. and Stephen A.'s trip to where he is now was just nuts career wise. So I'm just gonna like read it like line for line. So just deal with me for a bit. All right. So he started off in Winston Salem Journal, 
as a writer. Um, in 1994, he started with the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, reporting for the 76ers. In 2007, the Inquirer announced that Stephen A. would no longer be writing columns and would be demoted back to a general assignment reporter. And then in 2008, they fired him. So 2008, Stephen A. is unemployed. Then, well, while he was writing, he had started his career, though, with ESPN. So it wasn't like he was just, like, done. But he first started off with a television career on a channel called CNNSI in 1999. In 2005, he started working on an ESPN show called Quite Frankly with Stephen A. Smith. And then that show was canceled in 2007. And then he became a basketball analyst for a little bit. Uh, started showing up on Sports Center every now and then. Uh, he started. Yes, he started. Hold up. He left ESPN May first in two thousand nine. Um, hold on. Then he later returned to ESPN in two thousand twelve when he started on First Take, and then after that it was history. But just like seeing like he got somewhere, he got cut. He got somewhere, he got cut. It's just like dad, like. You think Stephen A, you think success. Like, this man probably never took an L in his professional career. But the fact that he got smacked down multiple times and got back up, still being, I'm sure he couldn't have been anybody but the loudmouth person that he is now. But the fact that he's climbed to the ranks of, I am the highest paid broadcaster on ESPN, making $8 million a year. When you think of ESPN, you think of me. Like, whether you like his personality, whether you like his antics, like, you have to respect the grind that he put in and the position that he's gotten to as a black man. So I don't listen to him like that no more just because I've heard enough of blasphemy. The blasphemy to stay <laughs> off the weed. And now I'm, I'm here getting now I'm hearing <laughs> oh, Yeah, I hear all of it, but <laughs> it's all respect for what he was able to do and where he got to. Yeah, um, yeah, I've also like I'm a huge Stephen A. Smith fan. As you see, I try to do is impress him and all that, but just to give you a little bit more on him, he actually got in school. He was he was considered a, a not a smart kid. Like he, I think he yeah he was bad at uh, what they say he wasn't well spoken or something yeah. like yeah yeah yeah. He had a dis uh, and then like from there on he went to Salem State and killed it. Yeah. And he was a uh, I think he, he played basketball for Salem State and then he was like a B reporter for like the local team after. And, yeah, you know. He went from there, but just to see his grind, because he comes from Queens. Like, that's not like a, and especially not, that's not an easy place to grow up. So to see his grind is amazing. And, you know, I'm a huge fan. So, yeah, I guess we all just Stephen A lovers, because I'm another one where, like, (laughs) Stephen, Stephen, like, I used, I love sports as well as music, but I used to want to be on TV to talk about sports. And so, Stuart Scott and Stephen A. Smith were two as, as, as a young kid. Those are who I looked up to. And it's to like to see like especially like I don't know if y'all remember what first take was but first first before first take cold pizza oh yeah oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. yeah to see first take how it is now and how everybody cold pizza was just this show I think I think Skip Bayless was still Skip on there was, at that was point. Skip and he would get like people to come in from time to time yeah but it was like in some it was on ESPN two it wasn't even on ESPN yeah. it was on mm-hmm. ESPN two and it was just there and then they brought Stephen A in. I think they had already changed. I don't know if they had changed their name yet or if they did it at the same time he came. No, they, he had a little section called Embrace Debate where they would like talk for like an hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah that, so that, yeah. So when it became first take and it's, it's crazy because like 
Stephen A embraces it now. Like he knows, he knows first take is his show. And so he'll go on there. He'll just be talking it up. He'll be like, yo, y'all have me today. And it's crazy to see, like, like you're saying, like, I I think I just texted you the other day, like, yo, Stephen A Smith just be loud for no reason. But it's like, he can do that. He has earned his spot to do whatever he wants because he, 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 like, literally I'm, I'm under the belief that if Stephen A Smith left ESPN, they would crumble because he is literally like holding them up on his back. Yeah, like he just talks over his co-host all the time, and it's oh, so embarrassing. And I'm just like, this man, like, you're the reason I watch the show, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, um, and then you, always, I don't know who it is. You always got the random girl who's trying to like organize. Molly, them, like, Molly, Molly Carol. Yeah, oh, she can't, Molly. She can't her best. Oh, she can't man. always contain her. Oh. Like, <laughs> Molly, one of the most hated people on TV. I miss Carrie Temple. <laughs> what, what's crazy Molly. is. Jalen Rose is slowly becoming one of my favorite personalities in TV and sports TV. And for him to be married to Molly, who like, <sighs> I think I th- honestly think it's because Carrie had left, but I'm just like, Molly. Carrie was good. Yeah, I love Carrie. Like um, <laughs> but uh, just the, um, Stephen A. Smith, like, I think what got him hot, really hot at ESPN when they were talking about Tebow and LeBron. Yeah. yeah. Before LeBron won the championship, and yeah. when Tebow was went on that, my friend Tim Tebow. Yeah. That was, <laughs> honestly, I go back and watch that, and when he talks about the Cowboys, mm-hmm. all those compilations. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I love Stephen A, but that's that's the point in which I got to turn it off. The Cowboys stuff be A one. Yeah. He has a whole separate waiting to happen for, for Cowboys now. Literally. And I don't even know. Well, I, I guess he does now. But like, even like back in the day, like when we were back at high school, like the I don't know if I, well I know uh, Peter and Avery won't know, but you two definitely know because we were all at, at Frederick High. But like, I just remember like sitting because I was you know always quiet, so I would sit back and watch y'all go at it, especially <laughs> when uh, when EJ would get there with y'all. But it was just like like to me, like it felt like I was just watching a whole bunch of Stephen A's just go at it the whole time. <laughs> And I would just like probably like Gabe or somebody would just like sit back and laugh with me or something watching y'all. But it was just like I don't like he's like influenced the culture so much that the way that we argue about the game is the same way that he like uh, reports it every day. And that's crazy. No cap. Like one more Stephen A made arguing about sports fun. Like there's a point (laughs) where I think it was probably a conversation with Dion and Joan just like. Bro, we could do this. Like, we could go on TV and talk about sports all day. Like, could, like you never would have thought that debating sports would be so fun. But he just made it a like a literal thing. Yeah, he he created he created a sub industry because now you have you know uh, Shannon uh, Shannon and Skip doing it over there. But that's all based off of what Stephen A did. And then another point that I'm I don't think you touched on, but. He's also really, really well respected, specifically in the NBA, because he would always talk about the stories because like they knew that Stephen A, when he was a reporter, wouldn't go and just be telling everybody's business. Like he he'd be go like he'd be he'd be keeping it real with them. He's like, yo, like, like what's up? And people like I think he was talking about Allen Iverson, how he had beef with AI when he was working in Philly for the longest, but they came to like respect each other because AI knew like he wasn't saying anything that was out of pocket. Cause you know, there's a lot of these reporters. And that's why with certain with certain topics that Stephen A. Smith talk about, I, I really pay attention because he knows where he's like when he's talking about Kyrie and all of these things where he's like, look, like 
you need friends in the industry because there's going to be people out here that's just going to be saying whatever about you and they don't even know. And Stephen A made it a point that before I even talk about you, like, I, I need to know who you are. He did that with Kobe. He did that with AI. He did it with Shaq. Like, he's like, I'm going to build a relationship with you before I'm just out here talking about you. And I really like, even outside of like all the stuff that we know him for, I think that might be one of the biggest things as someone who used to, I don't want to do it now, but used to want to talk about sports for a living. Like, I, I really respected him for that. And even beyond that, like he says that he'll talk to people and like if when someone tells him something, he'll be like, and if they ask him not to say it, he'll be like, I won't report it. But his caveat is just like, if I see someone else report it, I'm going to be pissed. But if you tell me this in confidence and you don't want me to report it, then I'm going to keep this to myself. And just like, you don't see that. There's so many people be like, oh, my goodness, this is hot topic like i know like we're cool and all that but this is gonna get bread on my table but the fact that he's even in a position now is like i can choose what to report and what not to just like yeah for that. It even shows his professionalism just having some integrity mm-hmm. with, you know yeah. trying to publish this or not you know yeah man. i mean that takes so many careers i won't get into it because i'm long and winded but yeah and if you ever hear him talk on a podcast off of first take or off of espn he's a phenomenal speaker he is. He just like he like he's calm. He doesn't stumble on. He just he's a great. He's someone to just is good to listen to. Yeah, because I don't think he, people like realize like he is like what while, while we'll say like oh that's not true. That's not that like the fact like he's not scared to take the position of a contrarian. Yeah, like he might say something like because because to me just like observing him, he might say something that he probably doesn't necessarily believe, but like. He has to he has to like get you to talk about it somehow, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if both hosts are just like agreeing the whole time, who's gonna watch that? Like yeah. I think he um, does a lot of acting with I his think work. um it is the people he argues with, it's easy for him to like be, skip Bayless. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and, easy and, for him to I'm sure, I'm sure he does some too, but it's just like I feel like Stephen A is just cause like the personality that he can put on, the loudness, the words he uses, <laughs> you know, he just he's become like a unique fixture that hasn't been like presented before. And then he'll the even say something. He, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say to the point where he has his own character on General Hospital because yeah. like he's he's trans he's coming to the point where he's transcending sports. He has his own character on General. I don't watch General Hospital, but I've seen his skits on there. They're, they're pretty funny, but <laughs> it's just like. That's crazy. Like, this is yeah. a dude, like you were saying, that started off as a beat reporter, reporter and just, you know, talking about sports. And now this man is, I, I really want him to get into acting because I feel like he, 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 a, he would he be, a Chris not great at it, pretty good. He was in, um, a, yeah, he was in a, how I, uh, how I think I love my wife, something. Uh, oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Forgot the name of the movie. It's a movie with, um, about his, him loving his wife or not loving his wife anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Stephen A was in that. Shout out Stephen A. Yeah, he inspired this show. I'll tell you that. <laughs> the whole idea of creating this podcast was honestly, I thought it was Breakfast Club. I thought that was the inspiration. Both, both. honestly, both because I grew up listening to both. Like uh-huh. after school, just listening to both. So I think he's definitely a big uh, factor. But yeah, man. Um, thank you guys for coming on the show, man. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, you know, some other, you know. Guess to spice it up, give us a, a whole vibe, different you know people. You know, I think y'all, y'all gave some good people. To, I ain't gonna hold y'all came up with some good people. You know, uh, Ave, Chris, especially Chris with the uh, some of the effort. Chris, you got I gotta Google yours, bro. I told you, boys, what, <laughs> what I came out here to do, man. Mission accomplished. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> but yeah, um, give me one second here. Give me one second here. That's it for the show today. This episode will be on YouTube at 3.15 on Monday. So catch us. Please subscribe, like, and comment. Please, we need engagement. Please, we need engagement. That's what we need. You can catch us on all podcast services, Apple, Google, Spotify, all of the, all of the, you know, y'all know. Um, oh, Pandora. Yeah. Podbean. Shout out Podbean. Uh, our social media page is Out of the Brug on IG. Um, I won't be sharing my personal one because I'm not on IG right now. I am on Twitter, though, at Kobe Peter. I love the new artwork that y'all have, by the way. That that oh. is dope. Appreciate Thank you. you. Finally, someone noticed that we have changed our <laughs> our um, homepage, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Who did it? Um, this dude um, I knew through Sion. It's called Kellogg FMPG. Yeah, I'll put his logo up again. Yeah. 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 Chris, you can go. All right, cool. It's uh, Big Chris five seven on Twitter and Big Chris underscore five seven. It 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 on IG. I forget. I'm gonna remember. Do this by now, Chris. You do this every week. Literally every week. It's literally. You think I will remember after like a year and some change, and I just don't. Maybe maybe you could keep a sticky note on the computer. (laughs) I was gonna do that like six months ago, and I still haven't. (laughs) What about Ave? You can find me at Avery Kukla, capital K L O P A at IG. I need to update it. Dion. You can find me on IG at DMOE24, on Twitter at MoreMamba24. Um, my name, if you see a picture of Alex Caruso with his shirt off celebrating the Lakers championship, that is me. <laughs> <laughs> I am JT Taylor underscore 33 on Instagram. Follow me, engage Mr. 58 underscore 33 on Twitter on their less. And I am Jennings187 on Cash App if you're feeling friendly. <laughs> Don't send him no money, y'all. Don't send him no money. Much. I get the anyway, thank anyway, you guys. Yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll be back again two weeks from now. Stay black, stay woke. We love y'all. Bye.